0: it's hard to anticipate how people will use something. And, you know, these platforms are created with people and those people have assumptions. They hope that they have a lot of influence and come to be meaningful in people's lives. And when they do, they morph and change. And you need to pay quite close attention to that.
1: Podcast Junkies. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. This is episode 242. If you are new to the show, it's the one where we search out interesting voices in podcasting, get them to talk a little bit about themselves, about the influence podcasting has had in their lives, and whatever else is on their mind. And we had just such a conversation with the fantastic and fascinating Sky Pillsbury, formerly the editor of Inside Podcasting. Sky is a fantastic storyteller, and it was half hearing what she's been up to and what she's got planned for the future, and half just catching up with an old friend, and you can tell by the fun we had how much I enjoyed that conversation this week. I have the pleasure of speaking with Liz Gans. She's a reporter and a journalism fellow at Stanford and also the product manager at Google. Liz has been a Silicon Valley-based business technology reporter since 2004 when she started her career at Red Herring. And since then, she's worked at 60DB as well as her current role at Google. We're talking with Liz about the importance of keeping informed with local news, content consumption patterns, and the work she's doing in news initiatives at Google. We learn about how she earned a fellowship at Stanford, how the work at 60DB influenced the work at Google, the passion she has for local news, and the importance of these local outlets in covering stories, and also some best practices and strategies from Liz. And anytime we get those types of tips from someone at Google, it's something I really value and I'm excited to share with you. As always, full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 242. Don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash junkies. Special thanks to our episode sponsor, Focusrite fans of their 3g line of sound cards and the scarlet 2i2 has been my go-to for many many years i can't say enough good things about the quality and the craftsmanship of the focus and scarlet line this month there's a limited partnership that Focusrite has with shore they're offering an sm58 along with a scarlet 2i2 and a pair of srh 440 headphones at a discount with a few select dealers make sure you check out the link in the show notes where you can find the details of this create and cast bundle and make sure new listeners stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. It's a little Easter egg built into every episode, but you got to listen all the way to the end. So let's jump into this conversation with Liz. So Liz Gaines, product manager at Google. Thank you so much for joining us on Podcast Junkies.
0: Sure. Thank you for having me.
1: So Liz, I was going through LinkedIn and one of the things that stood out for me Really random was the fact that you worked at Red Herring. <laughs> yeah. And so it immediately brought back flashbacks of like the dot-com craze because there was Red Herring and there was another magazine that I was reading voraciously. It was all about, you know, dot-com related stuff and, and all the acquisitions that were happening at the time. And
0: and they were like the size of a phone book, a very large phone book.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I'm curious what your memories, uh, fond or otherwise, are of that whole dot-com craze and any interesting stories that, that might have come out of that.
0: Yeah. So going back to the very beginning of my career, I missed the dot-com craze. I was in college, though I I didn't miss it from very far away because I grew up in Palo Alto, which was a really strange oh, wow. place to grow up in the 90s. Wow. And yeah, as a kid in high school, working on my high school newspaper, I remember a reporter from the New York times came to find out what it was like to be a kid in Palo Alto. And I think she really wanted to find, you know, some kid who had struck it rich and was dropping out of high school <laughs> to do a startup. But she talked to me and I gave a quote that I don't even, it was like some metaphor that must've come to my mind. I can't imagine how it wasn't something I had thought about very deeply is what I'm saying, where I was quoted saying living in Palo Alto is like living on top of a bubble and you can't see beneath you. So for a long time, that was like the only thing about me on the internet, but obviously that was because there wasn't much stuff on the internet at the time. Yeah. And red herring was my first journalism job after college. And it was not the red herring that you're referring to, like the, the legendary red herring. It yeah. was the just bought from bankruptcy court red herring. Okay. And it was bought by a guy with a conference business who saw the value in the brand and the archives and was trying to launch the economist for technology, Hmm. which in his interpretation meant a weekly magazine where the writers didn't have bylines. Okay. So as a young, just out of college person who didn't really know a ton, there was just like a huge demand for copy to fill up a weekly magazine. So I got to pretty quickly get to start writing stories and not just be like filing expense reports and getting people coffee. And it wasn't under my name anyway. So I could kind of like pretend to know what I was talking about and adopt like the voice of the publication, which was like a very kind of like snarky and enthusiastic at the same time. Yeah, so that was my first experience with a very slim red herring compared to the red yeah. herring of your. But it was this magazine that kind of chronicled the tech industry and was living alongside it. So the real story at that time, like 2004, 2005, was that the tech industry was really sad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so then after that, you went to work at Gigom. Yeah. And and then you went to work at All Things Digital. So I'm, I'm curious, did you always have an interest in... This industry and and in digital, and when you got started in journalism, is is that sort of like the aspirations that you had?
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of grew up in it, and I had, I think, I had a little bit. I wouldn't say I was trying to create technology. I was just interested in it as a story. With both GigaOm and All Things D. So GigaOm was founded by a guy named Om Malik, who was a famous reporter at the time at Business 2.0, which was one of the yeah, oh, Business editors. 2.0. There's <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he realized that the traffic to his personal blog was eclipsing the traffic to Business 2.0, and of course they were, you know, owned by a big magazine conglomerate who wasn't going to invest in a website because what would be the the money in that? So he went independent, and I joined like a month later, and okay. The reason I was able to do that was like a lot of this kind of right place, right time where, you know, I was in college the year Facebook came out. So I was like, I think this like social web, web 2.0, whatever people called it at the time is an interesting story to follow. And so then I had a little bit of an invisible beat on that red herring. Cause like I said, we didn't have bylines. So our names weren't next to the stories, but then I I met Ohm through that. And then similarly, I joined Kara. Kara was reporter at the Wall Street Journal and a columnist who built her own brand to the point along with Walt Mossberg, where, you know, they saw kind of where things were going in terms of digital distribution. They actually also had a conference business, which was really great. And they developed their own publication all things d which was kind of like the tech blog of the wall street journal except we ran ourselves yeah and then that, that turned into recode which still exists to some extent though i know like as of a couple of weeks ago Kara's main gig is being the opinion podcaster for the new york times
1: yeah how what was Ohm like
0: Ohm almost the perfect kind of like cranky future seer you know, he understood so many things early on, things like, you know, universal broadband and even like, I remember the day sitting with him when like Amazon announced Amazon web services and he's like, this is going to change everything. And he like, yeah. he totally understood that. I was just texting with him this week. I was like, what do you think about all these newsletter businesses? Oh, yeah. I, I was kind of wanted to hear his cranky take on that. And <laughs> his cranky take on that was like, it's just the same as the blogs. Like they're going to get absorbed into larger media companies because it's just so hard to sustain yourself beyond one person and to get people to renew a subscription after they pay once and to get more than a few thousand people to subscribe. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's fewer acquirers these days than like when we were doing GigaOM and all things D, I think that there was some hope potentially or three code that they would be acquired, but the economics were a little bit weird. In both cases, they had outside funding and that kind of just like changes the equation. Yeah. yeah. But I think in both cases, like for with both Kara and OM, It's fun to work with a star journalist, but, you know, star journalists are at the same time, we're both, you know, first time managers, first time CEOs, first time everything. So it was like working at Google has been the first time I've ever been at a company that has an HR department and it's like ridiculously (laughs) different.
1: Maybe we'll dive a little bit deeper on what the actual perks are working at Google, and if if it's all true, what we hear from the outside. I mean, I just
0: work in my bedroom these days, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's true. That's about the the perk is have a job now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the perk is I need to expense this new desk I just spent all weekend building.
1: (laughs) I'm curious where your passion for journalism started.
0: Sure. Yeah, this is a lot about me. I don't. I'm happy to go deep on it. I, my, I grew up as a kid of a journalist and I just have always kind of wanted to be at the table with the people talking about where the world is going. Like, I think one of my first memories was learning about this thing called global warming at age five and like then starting to hear like, oh, okay, like this conversation is one that, that matters. And that like, I kind of, I would say I, I care about looking around the corner And journalism, especially working in tech journalism, kind of allowed me to see things as they were starting and to think about the arc from something that's like an idea in someone's head and becomes a platform that plays a role in how we communicate with each other and live and across the world with billions of users. And I saw that happen quite a few times with companies I covered. So I kind of didn't, I did that until I got a little bored with it and it did, but it took a while. I did it for a long time.
1: Yeah, where I know that it sounds like it's like just... Going further into your background, but I feel like it colors like a lot of times like how we end up is a product of you know the people or the experiences that influenced us when we were younger. So you mentioned something about always wanting to be at the table what, where the conversations were happening. Is that something that just comes through in your personality, your natural curiosity, or is it just something inherent in your family? Because I know sometimes there's you speak to people and they're like, "Oh, my parents were scientists," or like my my parents were <laughs> you know were in a field that demanded a lot of or led to a, nat- a lot of natural curiosity. And then as a result, your kids end up having the same trait.
0: Yeah, my dad was a reporter, he actually wrote about technology for fortune around the time I was born. Okay, And so that was his kind of friend group that I always thought were so interesting and like, you know, wanted to stay at the table with the adults talking to having a dad who's a reporter can be a little hard. Sometimes I feel like as a kid, he was always finding the storyline running through my my (laughs) things that I thought were large problems and he could really simplify. And sometimes you don't really want your problems to be simplified.
1: That's interesting. So I'm curious what your take is with everything that's happening. I don't know if you've seen The Social Dilemma or The Great Hack on Netflix and, you know, the inherent possibilities with what's possible with tools like Facebook and Google's I've actually mentioned in there as well. So I'm wondering how you think about those things, especially you mentioning that you've been you were around when Facebook got started and where the intention was as a company and, and where it is now and you know how you think about those things as you know, these companies get bigger and as, as they start to have access to, to more and more data and having been in, you know, watching it from your perspective over the years.
0: Yeah, I think that was the big appeal to me of working on news at Google is that Google plays such a role in helping connect people to news. And so as someone who is coming from being a reporter and being involved in these new startups that were kind of trying to make a go, and sometimes we're doing well, and sometimes we're struggling. I was interested to get closer to the platforms that are so important in that world. And, you know, I definitely pay attention to discussions about the role of platforms in determining what we read, what we listen to, what we watch. I really, like, on from a podcast perspective, I... Like, enjoyed, for example, the rabbit hole podcast, I thought was really interesting. And I think that the theme that you see there is like, it's hard to anticipate how people will use something. And, you know, these platforms are created with people, and those people have assumptions. They hope that they have a lot of influence and come to be meaningful in people's lives. And when they do, they morph and change. And you need to play quite close attention to that. And I don't think that the anticipation of what would come was anywhere near like over the years I was watching over the years I was covering a company like Facebook when it was starting was anywhere like I think that they had no idea how powerful that that and how widespread that they would be and what that would entail for the responsibility of people finding information and misinformation.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And I think it's something that everyone's it's more top of mind. And the fact that they're making, you know, now documentaries about it, I think it's going to be in, in the conscience of everyone. And I think everyone's going to have to develop their own relationship with technology. Like I'm, for one, have turned off my all my alerts just so I don't have a Pavlovian response to every single thing that's dinging me on my phone. And I think...
0: So where were you? How many hours did you find out after it was announced that Trump had coronavirus this morning or last night?
1: I usually get my news through Twitter because I do a search on top trending. And that's where I first saw it. This morning. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, On the West Coast, I was in bed last night and saw the alert come across. So. Yeah, I mean, I care about being close to the news. I don't turn my yeah.
1: off. <laughs> well, it's interesting because it's sort of like a love-hate relationship because when it first, I mean, years ago, I would get CNN news alerts. I'm like, yes, I want to know every single time. And it's just like, you know, like Prince Harry is like, has a new like car or something. Like, it would be like the yeah. silliest thing that I would get an alert for. I'm just like, I don't need to know. I literally don't need to know about that. And so, I, yeah. I, I mean, for a while, I even deleted the news app from my phone because it's just like, you know, they, like they say, if it's important enough, somebody will let you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. So,
1: and it's interesting that you, you know, having that perspective of the news, how you think about the news. So I do want to dive into that. But since you mentioned the podcast, I'm always curious, because the show is called Podcast Junkies, what was your first connection or your first memory of podcasting?
0: Well, it was pretty early, early enough that I had no idea what I was doing, because I don't think that there were a lot of like user friendly podcatchers at the time. I think it was probably like I was started using RSS readers when, you know, when I was a tech reporter at Red Herring, so like 2005. And then I was like, oh, there's this thing called podcasts, and they have, you know, it's a different kind of RSS that has media you can listen to. And I'm going on a road trip this weekend, and that's what it's supposed to be good for. So I'll like subscribe to these podcasts. And then, I got on the road trip and I guess this was like on my laptop and it didn't like download the files in advance. Like it was like, I mean, I think podcasts are still have a reputation for being like requiring a little too much work. But at that time it was like, they required a ridiculous amount of work. But yeah, I would call myself a fairly early podcast junkie. And I've been excited to see how podcasts have expanded because in the early days, like they really kind of related a lot to the same kind of topics that were for that early adopter audience.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think in the beginning, I'm trying to think about the MP3 player that I had, the brand it was. I was so excited because you could basically put i think you could fit like maybe six mp3 files on it it was like super early days and you'd have to plug a cable into your computer sync those there and i remember just like well this is crazy like you can listen to audio and it's not on a cd and it's not going to skip <laughs> you know because that was the transition from cd players and i think early days the excitement was the fact that you could almost like early days of internet learn about almost any topic in the form of a podcast Do you find that you, when you consume content, that you want to learn more about a subject that you tend to, you know, are you more of a reader or do you like to consume audio or do you like YouTube, you know, videos, where do you gravitate towards?
0: I think I do a little bit of everything. I would say that my favorite thing is like diving deep into a topic and then reading all the people who, the conversation around that topic as well. So I love like reading a book and then looking for podcast interviews with the author of the book. I love TV recap surface i don't know different different i love i love listening to tv recap podcasts and also like going to reddit and looking at tv recaps and reading them online <laughs> like if i get into speaking
1: something, of I rabbit kind of holes
0: to, yeah no if i get into something i want to hear about it and watch about it yeah. and read about it and all together
1: well it's funny because i was looking at there was a, an article where you and Kara and who else was on there Yeah, I forgot who else was on there, but it was like a a recommendations of podcasts. Oh, yeah. And some of the ones that you had recommended, you had talked about Westworld. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And it's so funny because I tend to gravitate towards movies or TV shows that make my my head hurt a little bit. We're just like, I can't quite figure that out. And I know I found an interesting movie when I Google immediately, like, name of movie, what does it mean? (laughs) Because I'm like, like, interstellar or like Inception. I'm just like, there's something else happening here. So
0: yeah, I don't want to hurt my brain these days. I'm only watching... I've only been watching Amy Schumer Looms to cook. That's my only <laughs> TV at the moment. I can't okay. handle anything brain breaking. Yeah, but yeah.
1: And do you? How has your relationship changed with content you're consuming now? Because it it just doesn't stop. And you know, we've all come to the realization that there's no way we're going to be able to consume everything that every book that we want to read, every movie we want to see, like all, every article, every podcast we want to listen to. Like there's not going to be enough time and we have to, I feel like the curators are more important nowadays because they're helping us surface things that are important and things that we should be taking a look at. So I'm wondering how you think about this idea of so much content we can't consume and so we have, you know, signal versus noise type stuff.
0: I mean, I'm not an inbox zero person. I don't feel uncomfortable with things piling up. I'll get to what I get to. Yeah, my kids are obsessed with the Molly of Denali podcast, and we listen to that every night. And we've listened <laughs> to every episode tens, hundred times. They just started <laughs> a new season this week, and we were thrilled because
1: That's <laughs> I've, funny. I've
0: heard all of it. So, far.
1: what's the podcast about?
0: It's about a girl named Molly who lives in Alaska, and she teaches you about her Native Alaskan heritage and library science. And it's also a TV show. I don't know. I'm just saying like, you can be worried about consuming everything, or you can be worried about the fact that you're consuming one thing on repeat. And but yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy it all.
1: So talk to me now about as you transition, talked about your time in all things D. And then I'm just curious, what's the process of becoming a, a fellow at Stanford? Oh,
0: I applied to Stanford's Journalism Fellowship, okay. which I was deeply familiar with because my dad, who I mentioned earlier, had also been a fellow there. It's why I moved to California okay. when I was five. It's where I heard those conversations about global warning, warming warming yeah. yeah, I applied and I got it was a really cool experience because I was the Least hardcore, I think, of all the journalists in my class. You know, we had a guy who came from Ukraine who had literally like used a hairdryer on discarded documents when wow. the leadership uh, flee the country and like threw all of the important corruption documentation into a reflecting pool outside the the mansion. Wow. So, or we had, you know, like all over the place. And we had a, a journalist in our class from. Venezuela, who, you know, has never really been able to go home again since five years ago when we, we were part of that cohort. So I loved it being more immersed in kind of like the broader world of impact journalism and kind of diving out, putting my head up outside of reporting on technology specifically. And while I was at, I think the way I popped into it, which might be tiny detour fun but is uh i because I, I listened to the podcast that you did with him andrew mason yeah from detour sure. is i worked or i, I freelanced for detour and uh, detour script. descript detour which predated
1: oh descript, pete that's so right detour that's right the, mu- like the museum a, a, one yeah yeah
0: yeah so i this actually where it started is i read a book called season of the witch which i think is by a guy named david talbot which is about san francisco history okay and i lived in san francisco and i just like walked around town kind of mapping what I was reading about to where I was and thought that was really fascinating and wanted to help other people do that and then mentioned that to some tech entrepreneur that I was interviewing. He was like, oh, Andrew Mason, that Groupon guy is doing a startup that does this. And so I talked to Andrew and ended up writing a tour for him, which was my first audio recording experience. And so I I, I scripted it and worked with his producers and editors and studio and re-recorded it a couple times. And we had it paced out so you would walk from Alamo square in San Francisco and kind of like walk through time and hear my voice kind of explaining to you all the different things that the neighborhood had been through and hear from like someone you might see as you pass by. And then you like, you're invited to go stop the tape and talk to him. This guy likes paintings outside and it was super fun and engaging. And I did that as like a side project when I was at recode. And I got excited about the possibility of doing that more. And so when I went to Stanford, I proposed this project that would be like, we would help people find news by searching by their location. So like, I would imagine like, I would, there are some places that you're so interested in that you would want to know, you know, every news story that's ever happened about anything on your block,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. where you
0: live. So that was kind of like the origin. When you apply to Stanford, you say, this is the thing I want to work on. And that was the thing I wanted to work on. And it's actually like not, a it indirectly led me to working at Google because it was like much more about kind of the distribution of news than about making the news or the self.
1: Yeah, it sort of harkens to this idea of citizen journalism and how, you know, people were, at, I remember early on, people were like getting, you would see like news shows, like, you know, the first time you would see someone's like iPhone video footage submitted as like the, the, you know, the footage they were using in the story. And it's just like these interesting, cause we, these, you know, man, women on the street sort of perspectives. And, and I think it lends itself to that. Is your detour still available?
0: I don't think so. Okay. They sold off that part of the company and, you know, it was such a cool thing. I mean, they built some really neat software about kind of like tuning the audio recording to your exact GPS track and and having that all sync up. And I don't know how that lasts. Like it's something you probably need to keep updated for it to work. But also, you know, people change. Like this guy, Duke, who was selling his paintings for years and years on Steiner Street, I actually... I would be surprised if he was still there. I should go check. I moved away from (laughs) San Francisco since then. Yeah, okay. But it was one of those things where it was like a little bit of a time capsule. And I think you'd probably have to go back and do a fair amount of updating. But I don't know, for a couple, maybe like two, three years after that, I would get tweets from people who would say like, oh, I just took your tour and I'm here. And that was so cool. But I, I think that's tailed off quite a bit.
1: Very cool. So from there, you transitioned into 60 dB?
0: Yeah, I worked at 60db. I listened. You you had previously done an interview with Brenda Salinas, who yeah. I met and worked with at 60db, and then yeah. we came to Google together. So yeah, the story there was an. It was a podcast app, but it really, really didn't want to be a podcast app. <laughs> it was more about an audio news experience that was personalized and mm-hmm. that was easy for people to engage with. And to some extent, like that's exactly what I'm still working on at Google. Mm-hmm. It's. It we started out as a little app and yeah. now it's available through Google Assistant and Google Podcasts. We had to of course like shut everything down and rebuild it at Google, yeah. but a lot of the inspiration is still the same, which is that, you know, radio is a broadcast medium. So that means if someone puts out a radio show, they're trying to address a lot of people, and Mm -hmm. it means that radio has, or audio listening has a lot less in common with other types of uh, media like text or video, where you can have a little sampling of different things that you're interested in, say national news and local news and your favorite sports team and your favorite TV show. All of those things can kind of coexist in digital news environments, but audio doesn't really have a digital news environment in that way. So That's what we've been trying to build.
1: What was the biggest shift for you moving from a startup like sixty db to to google?
0: I mean it was it, they are the inverse of each other <laughs> yeah. at a startup you can dream up ideas, make them come true if you know engineering willing and have like two people use them <laughs> and at Google, you can dream up ideas, make endless slideshows and decks about what they could be, and then try to kind of like move this large, powerful organization, and then potentially actually be able to do them on a much bigger scale. But it just takes a lot more time.
1: Did you know what you would be working on when you went to Google? Did you have in mind what you wanted to be working on with Google? And how has that changed since the time you've been there?
0: Well, I joined Google as a reporter in my prior career. So I didn't really know what how I would fit in at Google. I was kind of skeptical of that. And i so Google acquired sixty dB. There are about ten of us that joined Google through that process, and including Brenda and myself. And we all kind of had to find our own ways within Google. It wasn't one hundred percent clear what we've been working on. We would be working on, but it was quite it was clear. I mean, it was actually, It was pretty cool that Google saw the idea, brought the team, and left the team intact to figure out its own way within Google. So we were rebuilding from scratch, but we had a team, which is a really nice way to get started in a huge, huge organization. But I personally was not sure what I could do at Google. Having reported on Google, I knew that I wanted to be closer to the decision-making around the creation of tools that would then be impacting publishers and impacting readers or users or listeners. So I tried to get involved in the product side of things. And that worked. I kind of like faked it till I made it. It doesn't work. It doesn't rhyme when you say it in the past tense. <laughs> but I, you actually, to become a product manager at Google, you have to do a fairly generalized and rigorous set of interviews and be tested on your technical knowledge and things like that. So I decided that I would go that path because I wanted to work in the, I wanted to be close to making decisions about what we would be building for people.
1: And how is that? So now let's move into current day and some of the initiatives you're working on. And so can you talk a bit about what you envision as your position was sort of solidifying? And then what are some of the things and some of the projects as they relate to you know what Google is doing within news and also as that ties into how people are consuming it on podcasts?
0: Yeah. So I work on the audio news project at Google. And within that, our kind of flagship product is called Your News Update. And it is personalized playlist of news stories that are made by publishers. And then we aggregate them for any given user into their own playlist that is accessible in a few different ways. As of yesterday, which is new, it's accessible on your iPhone on the Google podcast app, which is pretty cool. But the other ways you could access it, you could use a Google assistant powered device like any Android phone or a smart speaker or a smart display and say, I'll not use the trigger yeah, yeah. hey, word in case anyone has an S-I-R-I. <laughs> yeah. uh, you say, hey G play Google News. Yeah. And then oh, you yeah. would hear this made for you. Yeah. If you're in the US, unfortunately, it's not available outside the US yet. But and then you could also do that in the Google Podcast app. So if you open the Google Podcast app now on both Android and iOS, the second tab is the explore tab where we try to make recommendations to you about what podcasts to listen to. And you'll see there a recommendation of a playlist to listen to, which is your news update. And once you subscribe to it, it's different for every user and in every moment. So you'll hear when you press play a little bit like your own news radio. So we'll have stories from different providers that are all kind of stitched together. We worked with another one of the 60 dB folks who found her way in Google is a woman named Hannah McBride, who was a radio producer who now is kind of like the robot radio producer which is pretty cool so she designed a text to speech voice that okay. introduces each story and tells you who it's from and what it's about why we chose it for you in as concise as possible and with accurate pronunciation as possible and you know accounting for all the various topics that anything could address so it's been this very fun project of kind of stitching together native audio with synthesized audio into an experience that hopefully sounds like a smooth radio show and exposes you to diverse publishers and topics that you wouldn't normally hear together. So today, I think if you turn on the radio, you're likely to hear Uh, music or news or sports or one of those, but you kind of pick your station and they give you those things. And we're aiming to give you a much more kind of complete news experience that relates to all the different topics that you might be interested in with really high audio quality, because it's produced by the newsrooms themselves. And we work with a whole bunch of different types of newsrooms. So we have a lot of radio broadcasters, including commercial and public. We also work with a bunch of digital native type shops, like more podcasty. We even work with some TV broadcasters to get local radio. So by far the most important part of our playlist is kind of nailing getting news from your area. And local news stories are, you know, it's like the easiest and best and most effective form of personalization is just like get you News about where you are. Yeah. And like, even someone who says they don't care about the news, <laughs> I don't know. So, so you can maybe sense the theme here. I care a lot about local news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even someone who says they're not interested in the news, I think, is interested in something that's happening down the street from them. And yes. so we work with these local t- TV producers and actually help them take their TV segments that can work without screen. So oftentimes, if it's like someone sitting behind a desk, you can just take away the video and someone can understand what's going on. Yeah. But we we screen them for visual references and play the ones that don't have visual references. And it works out pretty well. All right. They're like some of our highest completion rate stories.
1: Wow, it's fascinating. So it's interesting. It's, there's a lot of things there. I, I think people feel like local news is dying, just like local newspapers are dying. And I don't know if you've ever seen a Haseem, I always pronounce his last name wrong, but he, the comedian, he's got a, he had a a show on Netflix, Patriot Act. And it was interesting because he would cover a topic every episode and it's like stuff that you didn't know was happening, like the US post office and, and everything they were doing to mess there. There was a topic, but there was one on local news and just like how, if you look at all these local papers, you know, in the past maybe five or 10 years, they're just like disappearing and yeah. this ability to tell the news locally is, is extremely important because without that you don't break like some of these big things that have happened and no i think and, it's the most it's most funny critical I, kind
0: of news and it's really scary i mean yeah we, we went very deep on my background but if you go even deeper i started working for just like the local paper and
1: mm-hmm. okay
0: i yeah i mean i think that ensuring that someone can get accurate information around about what's happening in their area that the people who make that accurate information can get a steady paycheck is an incredibly important part of a healthy news ecosystem, a healthy everything. And so yeah, I've from in the product I work on and across Google News products, I think local is something that we value very highly and are working to try to understand how we can help those local outlets that exist, how we can recognize the new and emerging local outlets and how we can just connect our users to them. And hopefully they can find deeper relationships with those outlets and come to trust them and have that direct relationship with them too.
1: Is there an opportunity for this service to not only highlight Local journalists uh citizen journalists is there a way to develop an and this may exist already, but is there a way to develop an ecosystem where you sort of surface some of these people who for whom this is really passionate and they want to keep doing this, and then maybe even a way be a viable source of you know some sort of income for them if they're continuously sourcing stories for you and they're your you know person on the street you know getting this local stuff for you because it seems to be like that's the the heart and soul of of what makes the the service function and function well
0: yeah. We're, we're not quite there yet at supporting the citizen journalist with something like this. Right now, we work with more established outlets. I would hope that we can expand that because I know that, you know, working with the existing outlets doesn't kind of recognize like the emergent endemic producers, the producers who maybe got stuck with the current gatekeepers, but have really great stories to tell. So Yeah, I mean, I hope as this grows, the goal here is really to help people discover uh, news that's interesting to them. And I think that's the positive role of an aggregator in news is that you're not just going to the same source that you're familiar with. You're learning about new sources as well. And so we hope that we can be a platform that helps democratize access to radio and helps people find publishers that they wouldn't know already. And over time, expand that to publishers that rise up in this new digital audio ecosystem.
1: Is it going to be similar to how YouTube functions in that if you like a certain type of content, then the algorithm would recommend similar type news stories with the caveat on that being, and since we've both listened to the rabbit hole podcast, (laughs) the dangers of that, because you could send people down a whole rabbit hole of, you know, just one type of news. And, you know, it's, it's a highly recommended listener. If you haven't listened to rabbit hole, you'll, you'll very quickly learn what we're talking about here. Just wondering if you're having gone through that experience, Google itself on the YouTube side, I'm wondering if. How if that might be something that's coming up or, or there's, there's some thoughts around that?
0: Yeah, I think it, it's always important when you design an algorithm to think about what its best case scenario is. Yeah. The control that we have, though, is around the inputs and the consideration of those inputs. So right now, like I mentioned, it isn't an open platform. So the downside of that is that we don't include new voices. The upside of that is we know who's in there and we trust them. And even though we trust them, we also proactively scan for policy violations as well. But I think that we give some structure, I would say it this way, like, we also program with structure in mind. So we have a fairly old-fashioned view of how we present the news and the news pyramid. And we start out with what we think are the top headlines in the world, and then we narrow down to your local news, and we have a little bit of an arc of a program where then we do some personalized stories, then we do some longer form, deeper dives, interviews, explainers, the kind of stuff where audio really excels. You know, not everyone is up for reading Wikipedia entries or history books or whatever (laughs) level you want to go deep on, like a topic, but I think listening to a five or 10 minute explanation of a really engaging conversation with a reporter or an expert in that area is a nice way to bring yourself up to speed. And so we try to like concatenate those into a playlist that makes sense for you. And we don't promise to like pull you in and draw you in forever by doing (laughs) doing this kind of next, 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 next behavior.
1: Yeah, Yeah. And is the AI voice introducing each news story?
0: Yeah. The AI voice introduces each news story. It's pretty cool. If you try it on the podcast app, we're actually now using a AI voice that was trained with a news actor or a news, like a a news announcer actor, which means that it sounds a little bit more newsy. It could be even more hosty, I think where it kind of, you know, if you can imagine the difference between someone who is reading an article versus someone who's like, telling you like really pay attention to this thing because it is coming next yeah, you know yeah. that kind of intonation <laughs> but the the news reading voice yeah. is cool in that it acknowledges a bit of like the it's trained on sentences rather than just words or even sometimes syllables so it understands a little bit where to put emphasis within a sentence and especially if you repeat a topic from one sentence to the next one it understands that you might inflect it differently they're coming along i don't we're nowhere near near like uncanny valley of thinking that it's an actual person announcing the stories but it's cool because you we couldn't have an actual person announcing everyone's personalized playlist so it allows it to be a scalable kind of voice ui you know you think about how you would design something visually for it to make sense now this is like how you would design something in voice to make sense.
1: I just was pulling up Google Podcasts on my iPhone, and so what I see it now on mine because I've only I was testing it and I subscribed to just my show, so I could see how it behaves in Google Podcasts. But are you saying that this feature now would be available through yeah. that interface? Or
0: I can show you where to find it, and if you have the okay. release that just went out, you should be able to see it. So the first tab is your home feed. Yes. And you'll see your subscriptions up top there and then the new episodes from them below that. The next tab is our Explorer feed. And at the top of that For You section, or perhaps um, if you don't see it on For You, go to News. You'll see it on For Me. Yeah, Yeah, cool. Okay. It should reliably be on the News page if you don't see it on For You. Then you can subscribe to it there and you'll see it pop up in your home feed whenever you download or whenever you refresh the app.
1: And then does it learn? Can you provide, or is that coming up soon where I was thinking, like this, didn't like this, like this, didn't like this, and start to teach it?
0: Yeah. So we have a couple ways you can give input. One is you can, if you click on the, through to the playlist page, you'll see there's a settings page where you can just say, I like these publishers.
1: Got it. And we
0: give you the opportunity to say you want to follow a publisher, which means you want to hear more from them or mute a publisher, which means you want to hear none from them. So we have like kind of a soft positive and a strong negative because
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah.
0: what users seem to really like. When you say a, a light negative, it, they're like, I told you I didn't like that. I'm like, okay, okay. All right. We will take you more seriously.
1: Yes. Yeah, so sort of like yeah. the NPS score. Like how much are you willing to recommend this, per, this business, you know,
0: right. Extremely
1: right. willing. And yeah.
0: And the other thing you can do is you can skip stories and okay. we use that as a fairly light signal. Cause you might skip a story just cause you already you know heard it somewhere else or because you know, you're stopping yeah. your whole playlist because you got to work if driving to work is a thing that people still
1: do. Yes. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah, that is one of the kind of sad parts about this year is like, we finally got this out into the world and then everyone <laughs> stopped driving around. And yeah. I um, actually drove my kids to school today and it was so nice coming home, listening to your news update in the car. Cause I was like, this is how yeah. I imagine this to work.
1: Exactly. But
0: I, most days I just like, like I said, sit in my bedroom.
1: There's a, a previous guest that created a network called, I think it's called evening drive or something like that. And it, it was meant for leaving your job and like four or 5. PM. And it was like, you know, one, you know, short, very short episodes. You know, five minutes, ten minutes on the latest in tech. Drive, ride home. It's called the network. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I and I spoke to the tech meme to ride home, and now he, he he basically got a little bit of funding, and he created a network of these ride home type shows. And I think they've added a couple other categories. But it literally, like I remember it happening just, and then COVID hit, and it's like no one's riding home anymore. <laughs> so yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: so it's been interesting Someday. to see what happens.
0: I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I was driving too much. I was commuting every day, yeah. so I don't miss. It totally, but I missed a little bit.
1: But I find new ways to consume it. And you know, being, you know, when you're traveling, you're, you're almost more conscious of like queuing up and having your your go-to ready. Because of like, if I do have to get into the car or, or I am yeah. making dinner or I do have to walk the dog, I'm like, okay, this is a moment where I get <laughs> that uninterrupted free time. And, you know, you I get better with the one and a half X, two X, you know, depending on the show. Oh, I can't with, handle that. To the chagrin of the, the people who spend a lot of time producing the content. You know, they hear that and they cringe. But I, I think it's interesting. I think what would be interesting and fascinating... Cause if you think about the DIY aspect of podcasters, how people just made a name for themselves in the beginning because they had content that people like. If there was a way for you to subscribe to someone that you just randomly found that is doing, you know, on the street reporting in like. New Orleans, and you kind of like it would be super like long tail type stuff. But I think over time, if you knew that there was these reporters and they could create the equivalent of an RSS feed for the Google News update, and be like, oh, I want to follow Liz because she reports on you know Metairie, yeah. Louisiana, which is I just know that because that's where my brother lives. But it would be interesting because you'd be like, hey, do you want to follow my individual news beat? Subscribe to me like the new on Google News app, and then you and it could be just an audience of one at some at some, but but I would listen to that person every single day because I'm not in there anymore and you know i don't get the local news and and it would be interesting to see sort of like a substack newsletter like yeah. super super niche super like audience interested in what you have to say because you have that that following so i thought that might, that might be interesting
0: i think that stuff was already existing like that you know it because podcast tools are so accessible or becoming more accessible you can just make your own show about your neighborhood and hopefully yeah we could help you find an audience eventually what was I gonna say to
1: that? It would almost be like the way I think about in my marketing brain always kicks in for this sort of stuff. But it was whatever guidelines you had or Google had about this is what a news feed needs to look like, it needs to be like two minutes and you need to make sure it ends in two minutes and it needs to have like a, a break in between. Sort of like in a podcast, you tell people yep. and podcasts could are a bit different because they could be anywhere from five minutes to three hours. But if you said, hey, if you want to be considered for the feed, make sure each segment is like two minutes and yeah. then put it in this equivalent of an RSS feed that you could, that Google News could pull and that I, as an interested party could say, I want to subscribe to Liz specifically on, and just not her podcast, but her, her news updates. So.
0: Exactly. I think that that is a podcast. Like it doesn't have to be different. I think we've just defined podcasts to be super long. Like Pacific content has done some summaries of what is the average length of podcast over time? And I think overall yeah. time it was like forty six minutes or something, and it's getting like a tiny yeah. bit shorter each year. I may, I just looked up that last year's post this week checking that out. But I think that that, that is my pitch: is that your podcast doesn't need to be two hours long. <laughs> yeah. And news or not, like I think for news, it's especially relevant that it could could be shorter because you know people want to catch up to, on things quickly. News evolves, and it doesn't have to. It can be a little bit more ephemeral. Yeah. The The instructions that you asked for, we did publish that. They exist. I don't know if they help you. Like, we haven't had this audio web revolution happen yet outside of the product that we're building, but there's a few things that we do that I think could be picked up, you know, through the way that we do it organically, which is we ask people to do single topic stories. So every MP3 addresses one topic, and that allows us okay. to kind of mix and match them and for someone to engage in something. Otherwise, like maybe the second topic you address on your show is the one they're actually interested in and they're kind of fast forwarding through, or, you know, yeah. they already heard some other show address that point. So then, you know, they would rather skip, but they don't want to skip your whole show. So turning things into single topic stories makes them a lot more accessible. The other thing that we ask people to do is just like, clearly introduce themselves and where they're from within each of those files so then when someone hears them in this playlist with with this with this host you know that's the tts voice they aren't confused about just like who they're hearing from like it's really you know that voice in your ear is so it's, it's so important to know who that voice is so we have a specification that still uses rss but it builds onto it a little bit more using something called media rss which it allows you okay. to put multiple MP3s within a single enclosure. So if you didn't introduce yourself in your segment, you can add an additional tiny MP3, which introduces yourself. And then you can also add an additional tiny, meaning short MP3, which signs off and says like where to find more from you. So we were kind of imagining yeah. those as like links and headlines and the sure. kind of things you would find on a text article, but that have been a lot less accessible in audio because it's been-
1: Like, cha- uh, like chapter marks?
0: Yeah. Chapter marks would be perfect for this, except that They require both the producer and the client to use them. Yeah. Have you or have you dug deep on chapter marks? Do you use I've them?
1: tested at a couple because I remember I was speaking to Amiri Valiani, who is the founder of, of Glow.fm, the, the payment, like a Patreon type service. And we're talking about this idea of interactive, like teaching content through podcasts. And I, I tested it out. It took me a while, but I basically put it like a, a slideshow, like a, a, an image. So as I was speaking about a topic, the image would come up on your phone. But it you know it's, it's a bit clunky because people aren't normally like, if I'm listening to a podcast, I'm usually on the go and i'm not looking at my screen so it's be interesting but yeah to the point you can do stuff with that it, it takes a little like you said it takes a lot of jumping through hoops <laughs> to actually get that to work i think it would lend itself interestingly to an ecosystem or just letting people know so that media rss specification is available if people wanted to like
0: yeah, create I mean, their audio in that format we just tried yeah. to kind of use an open standard and point okay. people to a way to use it that we could interpret but not exclusively yeah. like other people could interpret it that way okay. i think that there's like yeah. If there are folks who are interested in extending RSS standards to or to or podcast standards to incorporate more things like you mentioned, like interactivity or like donations or stuff like that. I think there are a bunch of folks at Google who are very interested in helping with that and kind of just like giving podcasters tools to not just like use podcasts the way that they have been for 20 years without pushing without kind of pushing into the directions that people actually want to use them.
1: Yeah, I know there's James Cridlin, who's the author of uh, Pod News. He's got a couple of groups that he's mentioned or is a part of that's working on open standards mm-hmm, uh, for RSS. Yeah. So I would imagine someone from Google might have been, he might have reached out to someone there yep. for some help with that. So first edit point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've given you lots <laughs> so, of opportunities to edit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of questions as we wrap up. What's something you've changed your mind about recently?
0: I've heard you ask this to other people, and I didn't think about what I should say. That was That was an error. I don't know. I I mean, I feel like living in California right now you're a bit forced to reconsider everything. It's another smoky day today. Yeah. I hope that there will be days that are not smoky, but man, it just brings me down on what is possible to accomplish. So, something I've changed my mind on is whether I want to go outside today because the answer to that is always normally yes. I want yeah. to, you know, go for a run and listen to my podcast, but I don't know. Sorry, it's interesting.
1: No, no, there is no bad answer. When I look out the window, that's
0: what occurs to me. It's like, ugh, I want to be there and I don't right now.
1: I'm currently in LA. Now I'm actually in in Glendale and I, I live now in Minneapolis and I used to live in LA. I used to live in Silver Lake and I was in four years in LA. So coming back a couple of weeks ago to take care of some personal stuff. And it was the first thing I noticed. I went out, I love hiking and it's bad enough. We have to be with masks on in public with because of COVID, and then you have to be, now have a mask on when you're going hiking too because of the smokes. <laughs> it's just like, it like gets to be yeah, a or surreal. Yeah, you even
0: go outside. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Maybe I haven't changed my mind. I'm pretty stubborn. I still <laughs> want to go outside. I just want it to be nicer. Yeah,
1: yeah. What's the most misunderstood thing about you?
0: I don't feel like people think a lot about how I'm perceived, nor do I think a lot about how I'm perceived. I don't know. Really unselfaware thing to say. I don't know. I think I, I tend to come off as pretty serious, but I'm not fully serious.
1: So what's something about you that most people wouldn't know?
0: Do most people know of me? I don't know. I've like, I've, <laughs> I've kind of relished going from being a person who wrote things on the internet every day at, yeah. to a person who gets to be a little bit more anonymous. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, writing on blogs circa 2006 or whatever, like yeah. I, I was there when like the trolls were just kind of learning what to do, and they were certainly not as vicious as they were na- They are now, but
1: yeah, yeah. I
0: got I like putting myself out there less and worrying about what people think of me less. I mean, I still, yeah. So I, you know, you'll, I probably haven't tweeted in a year or something. I
1: yeah, I'm you tend on a to podcast be very talking all <laughs> about
0: myself, which is not the norm.
1: Well, when people ask you like tell me a little bit about yourself, you can just redirect them to this episode, and then you'd be like, all the questions are answered there. So. <laughs> Well, Liz, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being open and sharing your story. I always like to learn how people got to where they are and the inspiration for people that are interested and may have started where you are and just giving people the, you know, showing people the passion for journalism that you had and, and where it's led, because I'm sure if you look at the career trajectory of everyone that was, you know, in studying journalism with you in, in college, you know, if you just branch that out to where everyone ended up, it, I'm sure it's a wide range of places doing a bunch of different things but i think it speaks to your continued and ongoing passion for journalism for you know your innate curiosity for learning new things and and i think just seems to have lent itself very naturally to where you're at now at Google and the things you're doing with it with the news and giving people probably a a fresh look at what's possible with news, I think is important because I think if people just think of like, oh, the post (laughs) and just like tabloids. And and I I think it's important for people to understand that why the news is important. So I want to thank you for sharing that story because I I think I learned a lot as well. And I have a, a slightly renewed interest in keeping on top of the news in this way as well.
0: Yeah. Here's my like thing I want to die on. Everyone is a news reader. Everyone's interested in the news. I know that the news can be overwhelming and that you want to turn it off sometimes and look inward. But yeah. knowing what's going on in the world around you is important to living your life, to considering your the impact of your life, and to figuring out what's next. And I mean, speaking of the air quality in California, I mean, the reason it's so bad is there are fires happening and Mm -hmm. you know if there were a fire that were near you you would want to know that like there is some level at some level like and I don't need to bring it to the emergency I think you can back it out a little bit further and just say caring about what's going on around you is like a fundamental part of being a person and I want to try to make news more accessible and to reward people who can bring value to us by finding by creating and finding and chronicling trustworthy, authoritative, true, nuanced stories. So I'm excited about doing what I'm doing.
1: Very cool. So where's the best place for folks to learn more about what's happening with the Google News Initiative? And to the extent that you wanna make yourself available, where can they connect with you online?
0: (laughs) Google it? I don't know, sorry. Yes. I would love for people to find out more about what Google is doing on news products and as well as supporting news organizations. And you are welcome to look me up online I will look, I haven't logged into Twitter in a while, but I can do that if it helps. And you, I would love if, I would love, love, love if people try the stuff I'm working on and give us feedback on it there. Like definitely pay attention to that. I care a little bit less about feedback on myself, but I'm very interested in improving what we're doing.
1: Okay. So we'll make sure and and connect with you offline to make sure we have all the relevant links and we'll put them in the show notes as well. So people can connect there.
0: Sounds good. Please don't troll me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again, Liz.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again to Liz for that fascinating look inside the workings of Google. I always appreciate the opportunity to share these conversations with you, especially with Google making a increased visibility in the podcasting space. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, specifically the 2i2pro, junkies.com forward slash Focusrite. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash chat one five. Tune in next week for my conversation with Maura Hughes. She's the host of Meet Edgar's Social Post podcast. If you made it this far, you're listening out for the retention hashtag. Let's go with fellow Liz. And you can tag us at podcast underscore junkies and Liz at Liz Gans. That's L I Z G A N N E S. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Love you, gals and guys